Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com/people today. Hey Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombus, we've always said our socks, underwear and t-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombus. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com/acast and use code acast for 20% off your first purchase. Level up human. The comedy science podcast, souping up the Homo sapien. Hello and welcome to Level Up Human, the show that looks at the human race and tries to figure out how to make it better. We're taking suggestions from our panel, from our audience here at the Glastonbury Festival, and from the natural world to work out what the next stage in human evolution should be. We want to give the ascent of man a friendly shove to clamp the jump leads of scientific endeavour to the nipples of humanity. We're putting together a to-do list for human evolution. I'm your host, Simon Watt, and today I'm joined by three brains in jars, and you can't prove otherwise, in the form of our guests. Judging the ideas, as we can only take one forward to incorporate into human evolution, on my immediate right we have you, Dennis. Hello. You will know you from Mock the Week, the Now Show, and as the dad from Outnumbered. Uh, you can you tell me which of the children is your favourite? I can't tell you that. They're all delightful children. Okay, what about well, your real? None children? of them look like my children are also very delightful. But I don't have a favourite of them either because that's just wrong. It's plain wrong, isn't it? Very politic. Do you have a favourite child? You only have one child. I've only got the one. Yeah, so well, that's perfect for you. <laughs> I'm working on it. I'm pitching ideas to you. We have on my immediate left, there is Alice Roberts. <laughs> Alice is an anatomist, an anthropologist, author and broadcaster. You're also the Professor of Public Engagement and Science at the University of Birmingham. And you have a recent book out too. Would you like to give it a shameless plug? Yes. Embryology and Evolution, The Incredible Unlikeliness of Being. It's about how we all shouldn't be here. That's kind of your stuff as well, Marcus. <laughs> what do you think is actually the most <laughs> unlikely part of our evolution? some really weird things that I can't really explain. So, I mean, the appendix. The appendix, yeah, what there. was that about? Yeah, that was a big odd. mistake. Yeah. <laughs> it's a disaster waiting yeah. to happen. When we say it, when, you know, when your parents tell you a mistake, they don't usually mean one particular organ, but, you know, <laughs> not a bad idea. So, also pitching ideas, on our far left here, we have Marcus de Sautoy. Marcus de Sautoy is the Simony Professor for the Public Understanding of Science and Professor of Mathematics at University of Oxford. And you too have a new book out. Um, would you like to give it a plug? Uh, absolutely, much? yeah. It's called What We Cannot Know. So science has made so many uh, great advances over the last uh, decades. I mean, even since yeah, the last right. 10 years, we, amazing things. Landed a spaceship on the side of a comet. But in this book, I'm actually trying to look at, are there anything in science? Is there anything in science that we will never be able to answer? I mean. If the universe is infinite, could we ever know that? So I kind of look over the whole of science trying to understand, are there questions that by their very nature we'll never be able to answer? Maybe we can know it all. Does that mean if we read your book we know less? Um, no, actually it's a really good excuse to tell you how much we do know already, so, uh, uh, which is, you know, to know about the future, the best thing is actually to look at the past quite often and understand those moments where we thought we did know it all or we thought we'd, uh, you know, do you remember there was a moment when people thought we'd never know what a star was made out of? And then 10 years later, we suddenly realize, oh, actually, the light is telling us all the atoms are inside a star. So um, it's always dangerous at any point to say you're never going to be able to answer something, because that's like a red rag to a scientist. They will say, damn it, I'm going to find a way to answer that. You're going to find out, so I'm going to do it. So you can see why these people have special insights and be able to tell us what humans should be. 
But we're also taking even better ideas from our incredible audience here at the Astrolabe Theatre at, at Glastonbury Festival. Give yourselves a round of applause. <laughs> it's a big love-in, isn't it? Well, before we delve into the uh, unbelievable and see where science might be going, we better start with where it is now. So each of our panel have brought along news stories. Um, showing what's going on at this very moment. Why don't we start with you, Marcus? What's caught your eye on the yeah, news? Yeah, I've got a couple of news stories. There's always a news story about an equation for something. So actually, The Guardian asked me to come up with an equation for the Glastonbury Festival. And I said, that's just kind of silly. You know, the, the, the festival isn't about an equation. But there's an equation this week for the best place to sit in front of a telly to watch the Euro 2016. And it's kind of like so stupid because it's actually, um, it's the golden ratio distance of, of the length of your screen. You multiply it by the golden ratio and that's where you should sit. But it's exactly where everyone sits anyway on their settee. So why you need an equation for that? But actually the new story I came up with was actually a, a great piece. You know, I, I turned 50 this year. And so I'm, I'm sort of starting to get towards the, the uh, eight, longer, eight, you know, the, the older age of my uh, life. And I found this statistic, the um, Institute for Longevity um, did an analysis and they found that those people in their 80s who were really good at maths ended up having more sex. Wow. And, uh, isn't that amazing? So if you can do your maths, you know, you, you know, go forth and multiply, I suppose, something like that. Is that, <laughs> is that correlation or causation? Well, I, yeah, is it correlation or causation? So yeah, maybe you so said, what is it about? Why should uh, being good at maths mean that you're going to end up having better sex as an 80-year-old? So, uh, you know, I'm, well, I'm, doing so I'm just sitting back and waiting for the <laughs> 80s to come on. So, um, uh, you are making this sound like this isn't a podcast and you're just here in the pool. Yeah, basically, if you can do some maths, you're probably good at keeping your finances. So actually, you've probably got quite a lot of money, which means you're probably quite healthy and you're probably quite attractive. I think you know, an 80-year-old, you know, Murdoch, of course, that's why he, you know, why, why is he having got a lot of sex? Because he's got a lot of money. I think they're all playing bingo together. That's yeah, exactly, they're playing bingo, yeah. <laughs> You can also count the number of sexual partners you've had, which I suspect is quite useful. Oh, you yes. think they're better at keeping <laughs> score? <Just> keep <laughs> if you can manage it in your hands, that's kind of yeah. even better, surely. Oh. Well, OK, what about you, You, What new story has caught your eye? Well, I, I um, picked a story from The Guardian, which is that a, an American company, or a UK company, actually wasn't entirely clear, are developing this thing that is called a robot personal care assistant for the elderly. Now, I'm not quite sure what it's going to do, but in Japan, they've apparently developed a robot with AI that has three arms and 24 fingers <laughs> and that can wash your hair, uh, which sounds very useful. But the other thing it can do is it will also tell you, and this is, I think it depends on how it tells you this, but it will tell you when you haven't spoken to someone for a long time. Which is so, meant to be a useful thing for the elderly. <laughs> if, it tells you in a, if it tells you in a very sort of sarcastic way, that's bad, but it can also presumably tell you as it's washing your hair, is because you're worth it. So that would, that would sort of help. <laughs> the, um, there are worrying aspects, though, I think, to the development of the whole of AI. In Japan as well, there is a, apparently that develops a cuddly robot seal, which is a bit strange in Japan, given their attitude to whaling, that any seal is regarded as cuddly, but they, um, that will befriend old people. And that's oh, slightly that's... sinister, because I think there's only one, there's a short step from befriending old people to befriending old people and asking them for their PIN number and all their account details and marching them down to the building society. So I think it's a, it's a, slightly, it's a slightly worrying development, I think, AI. Do, do you but think the one with the three hands and the 24 fingers will help those who aren't good at their maths? Well, possibly. You know, perhaps, you know. It's basically, think... with you, Dave, it's also this sex thing that people are now... There's a development in America of lots of sex bots. And there was a survey that I read this week that said 17% of people would be happy to have sex with a robot. It's probably already happened. I think that, there's, that this progression is only happening because of several slightly molested Henry Hoovers. I do think. Are, it's probably bound to have happened eventually. There might be. 41% of people think that it's slightly creepy to have sex with a robot, which means that 42% actually of people are thinking, as you say, well, I wonder if it has a, you know, a Hoover attachment. Well, 52% uh, of people thought it was a good idea to get out of Europe, so I, I, I yeah. don't think statistics are And also, correct. does a vibrator count as a robot? Well, is it thinking for itself? <laughs> <laughs> a vibrator with AI? It? I don't know. Look, and this, yeah. is, this is happening, isn't it? A lot of people argue that um, one of the main reasons why the internet progressed so fast was effectively sin. You know, gambling, yeah, no, pornography, all these things were the, the drivers for progress in some ways. 
our worst of intentions are also our best ones. I love the fact that you, 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 you basically imagine there's some kind of evil mastermind behind all of this AI, that somewhere there's a, there's a guy in a kind of mountain top getaway stroking his, fur, stroking his, his, his furry seal. mankind, yeah. It does prove... Well, does Stephen, Stephen Hawking thinks that he spells the end of mankind, doesn't he? That's what he said? What? AI spells the end of mankind? I don't agree. It's not that impressive because yeah, it's not that long a phrase and it hasn't got any very long words in it. So he's spelling <laughs> that. It's almost no achievement at all. Perversion is definitely the mother of invention. Now, Alice, what is your pitch? Uh, sorry, what is your news story? Oh, yeah, my news story is, um, it wasn't actually in a newspaper, it's in um, the journal Nature, and in their news and comments this week. And it's something that's worried me for a long time, actually, and I'm, I'm glad that they're starting to pay more attention to this, these scientists. Um, we have lots of experiments going on with both humans and animals um, to try and work out uh, how the human body works, um, how various drugs affect the body, how vaccines affect the body. And most of those experiments are carried out on men or male mice. And they kind of ignore the female side of things, which is a really tricky thing to do if you're talking about the immune system. We know that male and female immune systems work in very, very different ways. Men and women respond differently to vaccines. And so there's a real move afoot now to make sure that there are even numbers of males and females in any experiments that are being done and to make sure that um, the results are properly recorded with respect to males and females. And it could have a massive impact. We could end up with different vaccines for each sex. We could end up with a situation where women actually only have to have half the dose of a vaccine because our immune systems are far superior than the male immune system. Um, so I'm very glad that you know, equality is emerging in immunology for the first time. Yes, needed. We can see why. <laughs> Quality for mice. It's very popular at this liberal yeah. festival. Not it's surprising. We all agree. <laughs> Don't worry. So that's where we are right now in science. But let's look to the future. What would you like to see in human evolution? Uh, what kind of thing are you hoping to hear from these guys? You. The thing I really, really want is a Swiss army finger on my own particular body. I think that'd be really useful. Yeah. Bottle you can do that. Yeah, things are getting pebbles out of horses. Yeah, yeah. You rode to Glastonbury on your horse, I saw. And <laughs> so, you know, you, you yeah. need that. And that thing got stuck in the hoof, and yeah. you just didn't have you, you forgot that kit. Exactly, a little sore, because you're always having to get tools out. But if, you can just, if they just are there already, why not? Yeah, I'll go Perfect. for that. So that's what I'm after, that kind of thing. Well, do your best then, guys. <laughs> so, how about we start with you this time, Alice? What is your pitch? Okay, my pitch. Um, it doesn't sound desperately glamorous, but it could make a big difference. And it's essentially about a bit of replumbing. Uh, so we have got this mass transport system in our bodies, which moves around nutrients and the gases that we need, oxygen and carbon dioxide. And it does it pretty effectively, but there are just some really obvious deficiencies in it, I think. So your heart is supplied by two coronary arteries and those two coronary arteries are functionally separate from each other. It's ridiculous. I mean, if you've got two, why not plumb them together so that if you get a blockage in one, the other one can take over? Absolute nonsense not to do that, not to take advantage of the fact that you've already got two arteries there, join them up with an extra little tube in the middle, and then you're fine, and you'd avoid an awful lot of heart attacks. So there's that bit of replumbing to start with, and then the other bit is, I suppose, plumbing, but it's putting some extra pumps in. Because we're quite tall, and we stand up on two legs, and we do struggle to get the blood from our feet back up to our hearts again. And especially if you're sitting down for a long period of time, or you go on a transatlantic flight, it starts to actually be quite a worry. So it would be easy. It would be really easy just to make some of those veins in the leg contractile, so that they're own, their own, their own little pumps. So I'm going to get rid of heart attacks. I'm going to get rid, rid of DVT, deep venous thrombosis, by a very simple bit of plumbing. Do we know why the heart has got two? Like, what, what's the reason for that kind of redundancy? Why is there two arteries in that? I have no idea. Because there'd be, there'd be something historical. Like <laughs> it's the mammalian heart. That's how, it, that's how it's set up. Yeah, I mean, some of these, interestingly, when you look at anatomy, you kind of go, well, why is it like that? And very often the answer is, well, that's because you're what your ancestors were like, and you've kind of inherited it from them. And it's really difficult to break away from that kind of evolutionary baggage. And there are some things where you go, well, uh, there's no real reason for it. That's just the way things are. And you do end up with that kind of slightly unsatisfactory answer. Well, the trouble you're talking about, giraffes have, because they have to get the blood all the way up to the head. Yeah. Uh, that also means that they've got a huge heart. That The highest blood pressure of any animal is in a giraffe. 
They always look a bit stressed, don't they? Yeah. You can tell, yeah, definitely. But yeah. this has another problem because as well as getting the blood to the head, it means they've got massive pressures going to their legs. So all giraffes are kind of born with a kind of tight system ready built in to try and stop all the blood seeping out from the wrong places. So maybe we could look to giraffes for a bit of inspiration for this. Well, they've got a what system? So it's blood seeping out where? So the fact they've got tights, like they've got loads of connections. surgical stockings. Yeah. yeah. And actually, people were doing studies on these to work out how to create G-suits for pilots. Because giraffes? Yeah, they were studying giraffes, generally. The space program has been studying giraffes to try and make better astronaut suits. Do you think you can actually fit a giraffe so, into the International Space Station? <laughs> it's a really big helmet. So rather than, re so rather than re-plumbing and giving your body lots of, lots of new pumps, could we not just evolutionarily develop DVT socks? Yeah, we've done based that. Based on the same thing. We've well, done, no, you just yeah, put no. them on. But we That's could, the trouble, isn't it, your with evolution, just is, grow that we, them. is that we mend everything with culture and therefore... We're not going to do it. We're not going to evolve. Culture, high boring. Uh, well, what do, you, what do you reckon, Marcus? Do you like this idea? Well, uh, yeah. I, I, I'd like to ask a question. I always find it really extraordinary. I mean, we're so symmetrical on the outside. I mean, I, I study symmetry as a mathematician. Uh, but when you look on the inside, you know, why is it that our heart is on the left-hand side of our body? I mean, not everyone, I think, has their heart on the left side. There is, there's like a very small percentage which have the heart on the right-hand side. Scientists in versus. But, but is that true in all animals as well, that it's a, a left-handed um, heart? Um, is it across the whole of the animal kingdom that... Um... Well, no, because well, mammals are unusual because we've only got one. So there's lots of types of fish, for instance, which have effectively got the two halves of the heart in different parts of the body. Wouldn't that be a good way of putting well, it? Well, they don't... Uh, yeah, I mean, fish, fish have a kind of single tube, so they don't have the double side of the heart as we've got it. And then... And, and as it develops, I mean, it starts off very symmetrical. Yeah. And then as it develops, it gets lopsided. And, and especially because the left-hand side is so much bigger than the right-hand side, because the left-hand side is generating a lot more pressure, pumping out blood all yeah. around the body, whereas the right-hand side is only, just, is only pumping out blood to the lungs. So there's, the, the asymmetry develops because of the difference in pressure that each half has to, has to provide. But then why it kind of twists over as well, I've I, no I idea. this theory that there are these little hairs on the cells called cilia or something, yeah. and that they um, rotate in a clockwise or anti-clockwise, an anti-clockwise way, I think. Um, and this is something just weird about um, the sort of chemistry that's developed, that it has this kind of chirality, this asymmetry. And the people who have the right side of their body, uh, the heart on the right side of their body, um, it's because these um, little hairs um, aren't actually spinning. They've got a, and so actually it's kind of random which way. Mm. But the little spinning hairs kind of create a wind which drifts the heart during the development of the fetus what about, what to the left what's, side. What's going on with Doctor Who then? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Doctor Who. <laughs> I like Doctor Who because he's symmetrical. He's got two on either side. Those so. cilia are very early though. They're, they're when the embryo is just a disc and it's forming an extra layer. Um, and there are cilia beating at that point, which are definitely setting up gradients um, in the fluid around the embryo okay. and setting up the idea of left and right. Yeah. But even if you've got an idea of left and right, that doesn't explain why they're asymmetric. Yeah, yeah, and, and, and we're also symmetric on the outside, or Why some of us are more symmetrical than others. So I, what are you saying, uh, Alice, you're very symmetrical. As I've got to judge this later, what are you saying the advantage of having a, a heart, you want a heart in the middle? Is that uh, what you're saying? Oh, it's not his pitch in this case, but if he's having an extra one, I can't see why he wants this. <laughs> yeah, that's a, that's a good one, because... Um, or no, random. Let's make it random. So, you know, if you're in a battle, nobody quite knows which side to kind of stab. <laughs> oh, okay. uh, maybe we should just kind of random it up a bit, and it'll be a bit more exciting. The, the problem so, really... He's dead! Oh, no, it's all right. He's it's, on the it's kind of maybe I should have two hearts, like Doctor Who. Well, as soon as he seems to do really well with his two hearts. As soon as one bit of you <laughs> is asymmetrical, the rest of it has to keep up. So, like, for instance, because of the difference in heart size, um, a whale's heart is usually about the size of a small car, but it means the right lung is 10% smaller than the left lung. Um, so, you know, it, symmetry leads to more asymmetry, I suppose. But it's okay. weird, isn't it, all this asymmetry? I mean, the, you yeah. know, the liver over on the, on the right-hand side, the spleen over on the left. It, it, we are very asymmetrical on the inside compared with the outside. Yeah, yeah. You remember that um, uh, the thing for morning sickness, the, um, uh, the pill that people took? Thalidomide. Thalidomide, exactly. Thalidomide, when they developed it, was actually um, a molecule um, which did help morning sickness. The thing which actually caused the, the, um, uh, the, the abnormalities in fetal development was a, um, a mirror image of that molecule. So... Uh, and the body reacted well to one, but the mirror image was the one that actually caused all the problems. So the, the drug they developed, but it kept on destabilizing and becoming um, uh, the, the, the mirror image, and that's what actually um, did all the damage. So um, the body can, uh, it's sort of like left and right handshakes. Yeah, one feels good, the other one doesn't feel good. Okay, the question is, you, is that on the short list? Will we revisit this at the end? Well, the replumb body? Yeah. 
I, think I can't really, really say the advantage of it, to be honest. It doesn't, you know, because you can, there are other ways of reducing stuff, aren't there? You so you can wear socks, I think they'd be much easier to produce than a completely replumbed For the people at home, leg. Um, what about the coronial shoes, though? I mean, if we well, do a little joint on them. Yeah, just a little, just a little tube connecting them. Do you You're think if that was all it would be? It would just yeah. be a, a one uh, little tube. One little tube. You're probably giving a withering stare for this, for the people at home who missed that. You might be biased. <laughs> so is it on the short list? Well, I'll put it on the short list. I don't know how long my... <laughs> otherwise, otherwise there is no list. Short list is <laughs> no, it's very long short list. I might end up with a short list of just two, of course. It's going to depend on... Come on, Marcus. You can do better. Well, as Woody Allen said, my, my second favourite organ is my brain. And um, I use, as a mathematician, my brain is you know, the most important uh, kind of uh, organ that I, I use in my daily work. Um, but what I would like to do is try and pimp up my brain so I can basically um, solve all the problems that I can't do at the moment. So I actually went on a journey to try and see, you know, is there any way to kind of improve the brain to be able to do better maths or even actually to improve, uh, you know, I hate it when people say, um, oh, I've, I've not got a brain for maths, um, you know, as if, but actually I think we've all evolved to have very mathematical brains because uh, uh, basically mathematics isn't about long division and percentages, it's about pattern searching and as a species I think we're very good at spotting patterns, but, but uh, I thought, is there any way we could pimp up our brain to be better at spotting patterns? Um, so I went out on a little investigation trying to find out um, what ways we could actually make our brain better and more intelligent. Um, and there's a, I went and visited this um, lab in America um, where they, they're collecting brains of like Nobel Prize winners once they've died and, and trying to see what, what's special about their brains compared to an average brain. And it's interesting that actually um, a lot of the scientists have um, kind of a lot of local connections. So it's like they're very focused in the way their brain, you know, in the neurons are connected. But they don't have very many sort of um, uh, neuronal connections across the brain. It's like as if they're very focused behavior. Um, but actually the other brains um, had, you know, those people who are very good at thinking outside of the box maybe and connecting things. They literally had um, connections across the brain that were like a, a sort of long range connections. So I asked the guy, well, why don't you just combine these? Why, why is it you only got sort of, they seem to have only brains which have a lot of local ones or kind of a lot of global connections. So the best way to pimp it up seemed to be um, to have both of these. Um, but he said actually the brain can't cope with that. So we can't have lots of local and global connections. There's sort of a, a capacity problem. Um, so one option might be to kind of like increase the capacity, but he said that wouldn't work actually. We'd sort of need to go into four or five dimensions in order to make there to be space for that. So I'm going for another option because I went to a, a lab in Germany and um, they tried to make me better at spotting patterns. So they had all of these sequences going across and, and basically my, I had to kind of learn the patterns that were going on. And I, uh, it, it was all so fast, there was no way I could do it. But they started to do this thing. There's this thing now called transcranial magnetic stimulation which basically means shooting a load of uh, magnetic stimulation, creating a little bit of electricity across the brain. It switches neurons on. Absolutely terrifying. It Let is, exactly. They, yeah, they did this. They brought this ah. like, massive thing. And the weird thing was they said, yeah, we can make your finger sort of go up and down like this. Uh, and they said there's a bit of the brain. You can where do we, that. And you can do that. Uh, anyway. I can do that without <laughs> being like... But they said, I could, they, said they could do it without the even so, so there's a bit of the brain up. here which is controlling that finger so they zapped that bit of the brain and um and nothing happened i'm like oh what does that <laughs> no. mean and so they started to turn up this dial and said oh yeah maybe you need to do it a bit harder and he, he whacked it up a bit more still nothing happened and, uh, and i said you know do this on yourself i want to see whether and sure enough he did it on himself his finger went whizzing up and but they dialed this thing up further and further and nothing happened so i began to get more and more i said what am i abnormal in some way but they did this, so, so it turned out that the, my, my brain is kind of rather a bit folded in and this bit that controls my finger is a bit deep and was they can reach Was there another bit it. of your body that was wiggling at that point, Marcus? <laughs> so that explains why I was feeling so good. Yeah, yeah that's my first favourite organ in my body. Um, no, uh, so, but they discovered that if you do this transcranial magnetic stimulation, actually the brain is better at spotting patterns uh, and is able to assess data very quickly. Um, and so they see, saw an increased ability to be able to repeat patterns if you had this stimulation. So my idea is that we should, you know, the brain is basically developed from this sort of reptilian brain and then we've got this frontal lobe which is, controls our emotional state now and has, has made us a little bit sort of um, brains 
better maybe compared to animals, but can we take it one step further? So I'm going to put an extra layer on, which basically you can just decide whether you want to stimulate yourself in order to kind of pimp up your brain at certain points. Um, you know, perhaps you're doing a maths exam, you know, and, and you're, you, you want to get a little bit of an edge, and so you will just crank up the dial and you start zapping yourself, um, and, and then, then you'll be able grown, to... You grow this thing, it's not like having a car battery. Well, I, I thought, you, you know, you maybe extra... we just start with a little helmet you can put on. And if, if you want to kind of, you know, dial your brain up to 11, you just uh, crank this thing up, give yourself a bit of manic... Exam. And they've actually proved that they've done this on students in Germany who've gone in to do maths exams, and they have done Will, better... They, the with, students willing, with them. They were willingly having this... <laughs> they job. were willingly okay. electrocuted with their brains, and it seemed to help them in their exams. So that's why, you know, I, I would love to make the nation much more math mathematically literate. Are so there my any plan side effects? Well, well your finger keeps on doing this. <laughs> <laughs> so giving students electric shocks... Yeah, giving students electric shocks... Improves their exam results. Yeah, exactly. And you think Makes that's better because if it's improved their brain? Yeah. As opposed to just giving them yeah, electric shocks? Yeah, the science shocks. proves it. There's some <laughs> teachers at home who've really... Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Perked up their interest yeah. right now for some problem yeah. pupils. So hold on, magnetic brain. Is that yeah. on the short list? Well, as there are only two people here at the moment... Ah, uh, we've got more coming. Oh, I know, there's more uh, coming. I think oh, come I'll, on, picking uh, up your brain when you no, want to do that? Well, it's effectively... I thought you were going to ask me to re-plumb the brain again, and it was going to effectively be the same idea as Alice, but... Well, it's not, it's not strictly body. biological, is it? I mean, I this sounds like a special I'm, not, I, I'm, I'm shit at biology. We, <laughs> we allow <laughs> tech, we allow anything, anything that improves us. We, this is bionics is allowed. I'm going for making a cyborg and, and uh, yeah, replacing the brain. I think the thing that would actually... If it's going to be a helmet of some sort that improves your results in maths. I would go for a helmet that actually just whispered you the answers <laughs> in to my the head. exam. All so I'm, I'm not sure I am going to allow that because I sort of agree. That's not a biological thing, is it? That's just uh, it's a thing that fires electric shocks into your head to improve to improve things. Yeah, but I quite like one of those chips. I've got yeah. a terrible memory for people. I would love, you know, faces and things like that. I think say, oh, electric well, shocks will improve them. Yeah, I, I had to say, actually, this to me just sounds like you're going to be getting people with their heads stuck to a fridge. So that's no... Now, oh. though, we have to go to our audience here at Blastonbury Festival. The whole point of this is that we're looking for pitches to incorporate into the next stage of human evolution. For those of you who've just joined us because it's raining, you're in the right place. Mm. If you want us to come to you, please put your hand in the air. We do have microphones ready. I can see some people there. If you wouldn't mind, say your name so we can have a chat with you. And give us what your pitch is. My name's Tamsin. Hello, Tamsin. What are you suggesting? Um, I was going to suggest some um, like Kevlar in our skin to make us less likely to get injured so easily. So you want to have a, a thicker skin, literally? Yeah. So sticks and stones don't hurt, nor names. Kevlar. Is Kevlar very light or is it very heavy? That's a very good point. It's quite light, isn't it? Is it quite yeah. light? Well, I've held my dad's bulletproof vest and it's not that heavy. 
Yeah. Well, the question might be, again, that there's already better alternatives out there, like the um, Darwin Barkwood Spider is good spider silk, which is 20, 20 times stronger than steel. So people are literally trying to make bulletproof vests and like climbing ropes and things from spider silk instead, because it's so light. How many spiders would you need to make a bulletproof vest? And would you like to have spiders crawling all over you as they do this? <laughs> I think they're doing situ. Yeah, exactly. It might be slightly over-engineered, don't you think, putting Kevlar in your skin? I you mean, I, I know I don't live in a very, you know, troublesome part of the world, but you really, I don't need that in Islington at the moment. <laughs> I'm... Also, your skin is pretty clever in that when you do actually apply friction to it, it does start to thicken up. So you get the whole kind of um, the sandal foot thing going on, where you, your feet get really hard during the summer, mine do, because I'm wearing sandals all the time. And that's great, because it means that they are protected. Um, but the downside is they're less sensitive. So you've got that kind of trade-off between protection and sensitivity going on. I'm also picturing how hard it must be pedagging a Kevlar fit. That doesn't yeah. sound ideal. <clears throat> Trying to remove it. All right, you, what do you reckon? Is that on the shortlist? I'm, I will actually put that on the shortlist because I can see certain advantages to it. And I fancy being a bit like Robocop, so that would be, that's a good thing. It's good to be ambitious. Yeah. Thank you so much, Tamsin. Well Thank you. <clears throat> Who's up next? Can you tell us your name, please, and what your idea is? Flora. Hello, Flora. What do you want to suggest? Um, I was thinking maybe, like, the abilities of some animals, like, any animals in particular? Maybe like, I was thinking, because I quite like cats, like maybe like the hearing of like cats and like the smell of dogs and things like that, so like you would have like, able to just like, annoy like... Can I make sure they got this, am I hearing this correct? So you want to be the kind of cat hair? Not really like that, I mean like, have like, the same like hearing as them and things like that, like, so you can hear things better and things like that, like... Um, we're struggling to hear this. Is there any chance of turning up the mic there so we can hear it? Super hearing. Hearing of cats, I think it was. Oh, the hearing of cats. Sure, they don't listen right? to you anyway. Why do you care? Have you got a cat, Flora? Yes. What's its name? Gracie. You should call it Rover. Really mess with its head. I hate to tell you, I hate cats. No, I'm saying oh, this for... Boo. Oh, boo! Oh, no, boo. okay. Shame on you. I'm going to give you two good reasons. First of all, six birds a year. The average cat kills six birds a year, and the excuses the cat lovers come up with of Mr. Tiddles, he loves you. Look, if you live alone at home with your cat, nobody loves you. Is that okay? I'm going to give you three, three short words, right? Andrew Lloyd Webber. Do you hate cats now? <laughs> but you want the hearing of a cat. Why are the cats? That's a good question. Why is a cat's hearing so special? Is it, though? What? what? Is it? I, is I it? I, I've got a cat, actually. and uh, uh, Actually, my cat's called Freddie Lundberg. Um, uh, oh, yeah, uh, being Excellent. a gooner. I, uh, we, um, uh, but he, he just has a, a life of luxury. I mean, I really envy him. He just uh, sits around my house doing absolutely nothing. I mean, I, I think that cat's yeah. got it sorted. They've got us well yeah. trained. Yeah, they've got us terribly they are well useless. trained. Yeah, we, we think no. we're the top of the chain, but actually... We're it's this, like uh, dogs. I can understand why we formed this evolutionary alliance with dogs, because dogs would have been a great advantage to our hunter-gatherer forebears and would have helped them hunting um, and would have got something in return, uh, free board and, uh, and some food. Um, cats, on the other hand, do absolutely nothing. They are <laughs> useless, aren't they? They're yeah. a sophisticated animal, though, aren't they? They're sort of like, they're like the aristocrats. Of the animal world, they aren't they? A domestic they cat. They're, they're fantastic things, but I'm not, <laughs> I'm not sure it's their hearing that I admire most. What do is you admire most? Well, it's their ability to just, as you say, ignore <laughs> absolutely everything going on around them. So, Flora, in that case, you is adapting your idea. How about we go for the nonchalance of a cat? Yeah, I like that, yeah. Oh, yeah I like the nonchalance good. of a cat. Or, if you prefer, completely. the nine lives of a cat. <laughs> Shall we empirically Which you can combine that? with the Kevlar to yeah. make an indestructible human being. And the ability to always land on your very, very thick-skinned feet. Yeah. Well, that is a good one, actually. Yeah, cats are very well known. They're, they're kind of the opposite of toast. They always land the right way up, you know? Would you like to try that then, Flora? Pardon? <laughs> I can see why you need the hearing of a cat like now. The, the hearing of a cat, please. <laughs> we're, we're debating of whether cats' best feature is actually their hearing. 
And we're thinking maybe their uh, nimbleness and their acrobatics might be better. Yeah. Their nimbleness and their nonchalance. Yeah. Yeah, and aloof nimbleness. Yeah. It's also the, the whiskers of a cat have always interested me because they are actually serve a purpose, don't they? Yeah. To work out how wide the space is that they're going through. Is that right? Is that what you're trying with your beard right now? Yeah, except my ears stick out further than my beard, tragically. That might well work. It works with dogs as well. And um, I used to uh, cut my own Border Terrier's fur um, with some clippers. Um, and the first couple of times I did it, I slipped and cut his whiskers off. Um, and he was kind of twitching <laughs> as I was doing it. And then I kind of realised that I had shorn him of his ability. And he just became incredibly clumsy and started yeah. walking Aww. into stuff. <laughs> couldn't get through doors. Oh, please. Cat, cat flaps are a lot more difficult. I always thought when I was going out, I always, we had a cat, and I always wanted the cat's whiskers to be like those kind of luminous filament lamps. Oh, yeah. Where they could change the colour of the whiskers from blue to red to orange to green. Perhaps we can pimp up humans with that. So yeah, you've you got a I lovely like beard there, and you grew it out. Maybe we should have a kind of like light effects that we can have you on could, our beards. Yeah. yeah. I'm picturing a Salvador Dali style cat now. Please give Flora a massive round of applause. Thank you, Flora. Uh, my name's John from Cambridge, and um, we've got Boom. kind of two ideas, but the first one is uh, Babelfish, like a universal translator, ah. uh, because a lot of problems in the world come from poor communication, and it would be nice to be able to instantly understand and connect with people. Um, the second one uh, is shark teeth. So we have pretty poor teeth as a uh, humans, it would be nice to constantly regrow our teeth, especially as you get into old age, you'll find it a lot harder to get sustenance. So. What do you think, Colonel? I think they're both awesome ideas. I, I, thought, I, th yeah. I thought we had Google Translate for now. Well, maybe that's that. it. Um, there's, a, there's a cultural um, fix for the first one, of course, which is just to get everybody speaking the same language. Yeah, get everyone speaking probably English. Gonna happen that's at roughly point. what we voted for, I think, isn't it, last week? <laughs> I think so, yeah. 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 Um, there is precedent for this, you know, because like, uh, I, I love Esperanto as an idea, but there's one of my favorite biologists was a guy called Lancelot Hogbin, and he thought es Esperanto wasn't quite good enough, but it would be even better if we based it all around scientific terminology. Because scientists, we can already talk internationally, like we all agree that a, a human is a homo sapien, that a gorilla is gorilla a gorilla. So uh, we should perhaps start with science as our common language. Well, exactly. As science fiction writers always use mathematics as their way to communicate with aliens. If you take Carl Sagan's Contact, starts yeah. off with um, a prime number beat which comes through, and then uh, I don't know whether you've seen the film with Jodie Foster, and she sits there and she says, "Oh, you know that must. It's got a meaning behind it because it's prime numbers being beamed across." So, so science fiction, because there might be a different chemistry, a different physics even on the other side of the universe, but the maths, prime numbers will be exactly that's, the same. That's so, so I, I think you know. Yeah, the, 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 exactly, we should all learn maths. So if we find aliens and we speak to them in maths, well, we know biased. that they're nerds. Yeah. That's a good starting point. <laughs> yeah, exactly, and, and, and you need one of those helmets with magnetic stimulation. In case people get it wrong, and then you can give them the <laughs> Then we give them a shock. zap. Yeah. What no, about the shark teeth? The shark teeth, I, can, I think the problem of, um, you know, not being able to chew things properly in old age is probably best solved by a Nutri-Bullet. Uh, myself or just a blender, but um, <laughs> I can see that shark's teeth might be an advantage. I think that's more of an advantage than a universal translator myself. I would go for that because I don't have very good teeth myself. Always been slightly nervous of... Do you have that dream where you wake up and you have teeth? Oh yeah, the yes. yeah. In, in mine, something happens, I uh, clench my teeth and they turn to powder. Do they? Like this is a, has anybody, actually, out of the audience, who has these kind of anxiety dreams? Quite a few. But the, t the man who suggested the shark's teeth has an anxiety dream. Is that about your teeth falling out? You have had it. You have had your teeth fall out. I have had it, yeah. I suppose, I suppose what we have to be mindful of, though, is all of the people that we're going to put out of work. So all of the dentists and the dental hygienists who, whose lives will be a misery because, you know, one person's come but to see... But those would be very, very room. dangerous if you had shark's teeth and they were operating ah. on... Wouldn't they? That's yeah. not the kind of thing. Well, you've got a secondary problem here. So if your anxiety is about losing teeth, which seems to be a common thing for a lot of us here, um, sharks lose their teeth. One of the reasons they keep coming is that they keep losing them in the same way. That's which means they're going around biting things. Well, it means time. that the tooth fairy is going to go bankrupt for a start. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's a great idea, though. And it, I think that it kind of really throws up the 
Uh, you know, we tend to think about the human body being this kind of perfect creation, and it's quite clear that there's a lot of it that if you actually approach it sensibly, you could redesign it in a much better way. You design the eye round the other way with the wires coming out the back rather than coming out the front and then having to go through a little hole. It's mad. Um, you would put little pumps in the legs and that sort of thing. And you would have self-renewing teeth. You know, why? you can obviously do it. Why only have two sets? Why not have three or four or five or six? It does even happen, I think, with mutation. I've got a friend whose dad does on his third set of teeth. Like, it is a rare, rare condition. It does happen. I don't well. believe you. It's, it's not all of them either. Like, it's certain ones. It's not a good set that of must teeth. must be slightly <laughs> awkward then, is it? Which ones is it? He is, so we're going to press you on this. Simon. Double layers coming through as well, like some of incisors. So he's got ones behind each other. It's not pretty. Are you pretty. sure he's a human? Uh, last time I checked, he's not some kind of yeah. fish. I wasn't very thorough, but it was really <laughs> weird. Okay, hold on. The real question, though, is that on the short list? And which one? If you had to choose between Beowulfish and shark teeth? Well, I think shark teeth, just because I uh, yeah, don't I like Beowulfish. I think that's genuinely yeah. useful. I think a Babel, a Babel fish thing is not quite right. so useful. Please give John a big round of applause. Thank you. <laughs> All right, we're looking for suggestions for the next stage of human evolution. If you have any, and they're not on our list here because these are ones we've already had, try and impress you, Dennis, here. Hello, my name is Tom, and like, would it be a good evolution if you had horns? Like, <laughs> Well, horny humans do tend well, to breed more, that's true. Yeah. <laughs> like, would it help you? Or maybe would it kill you? <laughs> well. <laughs> this is an excellent question, yeah. Tom. I think kind of at least it gives you somewhere to hang your keys. What about your panel? Do I you quite like horns? the idea of horns, yeah. I think that, I think, I quite like it because it's biologically feasible. I reckon you could do it. I reckon you could get a bit of your body to um, change in terms of its, its cells and what they're going to be. What sort of horns would you go for, Alice? Would you go for um, unicorn? I actually, I, I would like to have um, antlers. Antlers? Yeah, Why like reindeer, like antlers. antlers. Yeah. 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 I think well, that, that would be brilliant. That's a great question, because like, the thing is, it's made of keratin, so it's the same stuff that makes up our, well, for our rhino horns. So it's the same stuff that makes up our hair and makes up our nails. Yeah. So you're right, Tom, we do have the kit in place. Yeah. If we wanted horns, we just have to put them in the right place. I think they'd be good for, um, you know, whether they're an advantage or disadvantage is something else, isn't it, to think about it, because if I had big antlers, I might have problems walking through doors, and that might be an evolutionary disadvantage. Um, but um, I might be more attractive with antlers. I think I would so be more attractive with antlers. So you could grind a little bit of it off, use it as an aphrodisiac. Yeah. There's, all, there's, a, slight, <laughs> there's a slight worry that you might be poached, I suppose. Oh, you might yeah. Yes, your yeah. head on the wall. Yeah, no, yeah, exactly. exactly. Yeah. There might be another problem here, which is that if you're going to go for the antler route, a lot of animals have their antlers seasonally and they shed them. So yeah. one of the reasons we think that the great Irish elk went extinct was because it invested so much of its energy in its massive antlers and was yeah. losing them every year. So, so we get into that kind of arms race thing where every generation people with even bigger antlers did even better and were more reproductively successful. So you just end up with these huge antlers and then you go extinct. Don't we ask you, Tom? Oh, sorry. Oh, presumably, this then you can't have both shark's teeth and antler growing because you just wouldn't be able to move. You'd use so much energy, you'd be too. This, this is a <laughs> great they, they, You can just sit there and ideas. think of maths, though. <laughs> you, you don't sit very still and do the maths. You don't know how right you are here because there is a kind of a Chinese water deer, I believe. I'm going to get the name wrong, I'm afraid. But it's a, a kind of deer. Do you know what? I think you'll be fine. I don't think anyone will notice. <laughs> <laughs> this, this deer. Um, Rather, because evolution can go down different ways, and if you're going to try and have fights for getting reproductive access, yeah. all the deer we know are the ones that've got the massive antlers. There is yeah. a deer which has got canines, like Dracula teeth. Oh instead. yeah, like a saber-toothed deer. Yeah. Saber-toothed yeah. deer, like a kind of vicious Bambi. Isn't the narwhal a, a tooth? That's a tooth, as opposed yes. To yeah. a, then what were that before then? Well, they don't really know. Uh, they've got some theories because it's unusual. It doesn't have much enamel, and they think it might be a way of testing the saltiness of the water so they it's can tell what depth they're at. a salt probe. That's what they think currently. And why does, it, why does it matter how salty the water is? It's a good it's way It's going to boil at a lower temperature, right? <laughs> it's a good point. It'll destroy their kettle, I'm not sure. Yeah. I, think, I think it's partly to dictate uh, their navigation. So they use the salinity of the water to try and work out and the temperature and stuff as well. 
But you've already had Satnav, so we can't have in, we can't uh, use the antlers as a navigation aid. Well, we also so we're back to thinking about what the real evolutionary advantage is. We think that possibly you might get an evolutionary advantage, not necessarily out of survival, but maybe um, reproduction if people with antlers are particularly attractive to people of the opposite sex. Maybe but also that there could be an evolutionary arms race where we end up smoking so ourselves out. If you combined it with an aerial and yeah, a Wi-Fi system... reception your telly or something. Yeah. 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 <laughs> you watch so the Euros at Glastonbury. <laughs> we have to get moving, I'm afraid. Please, uh, beforehand, is this on? Uh, I can't remember what it was. So it was having uh, horns. horns. Well, I think I've got to go... You can't have both the horns and the sharks, teeth, so I'm not going to allow that. I'm going to have oh. the sharks. Oh, oh, Alice goes, oh. yeah. Okay, then. Really we'll like have that horns. on the shortlist as well. We'll do both. She's really winning you over all these Because she's arguments. a lady. <laughs> Thank you, Tom. Give him a big round of applause. <laughs> so we've had some excellent suggestions from our panel, from our incredible audience here at Glastonbury. Uh, but I've got some suggestions for you from Mother Nature's larder herself. So uh, how about this? You, could you mind describing this to our audience at home? What are you looking at here? What I think it's like? a fly, is it, of some sort? Or a, what, I can't it's really a tell. Fly with please, red sir, please, sir, please, sir, oh, I know Marcus, what that is. Marcus know what that is. knows what this one is. No, I did this is my favourite insect. This is my desert island insect. You oh. put this on especially for me. I'm so touched. I did. This is a prime number cicada. So oh, it's, okay. they live in the forest in North America, but they only ever appear every 17 or 13 years. Um, so the forest is completely quiet for 17 years. Then uh, every 17 years, these cicadas emerge, millions of them. And so, so they use prime numbers for their evolutionary survival, to, we think, to avoid a predator. Um, How which, do they know about prime numbers? I know, isn't it cool? You know, they're, 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 they're why my desert island for insects. Well, actually, I think the point is that the ones who didn't know their primes died out because this predator used to get in sync with them. So, um, and the predators that now seems to have died out as well because it didn't know its primes. And so, you know, here's a message for everyone. If you know your maths, if you have one of those things like, you, you know, I put, try to get on your shortlist to stimulate your maths brain, you'd be one of, like one of these wonderful cicadas. So it just comes out at regular intervals? Every 17 years. So or 16 30, years but quiet. But that's a regular interval. That's a regular so why interval. Why can't the predator work that out? What, why, can't, what? why can't its predator work that out? If it's coming yeah, out because it didn't know it's, it didn't know which number to come out on, and it didn't realise primes were the key to the survival of this insect. So, um, so because it's smarter at maths. Oh, yeah, yeah, it's good at maths. This insect. You've been talking about how great maths is, and it turns out insects can do it. Does that not like demean your job a bit? No, it, no, no. You know, we, we, I'm, I'm quite happy to share the load. So, um, <laughs> yeah, they, they seem to know something we don't. You know, bees, for example, they are the most amazing mathematicians out. I mean, they, they worked out that hexagons are the best um, cells to use because they use the hexagon. Why not do it in squares or triangles? Hmm. But hexagons use the least amount of wax. Wax is really expensive. And so they worked out the hexagons. I don't think they're actually buying the wax. <laughs> it's expensive in evolution. Unless they're cleverer than I thought. Yeah, I like it's them. amazing. <laughs> amazing. Yeah, have no. you seen those little wax stores that they go and fly to? And then they're Incredible. So we're selling candles now, you know, bees. It's amazing. Would you like a cicada's uh, nerdy ability? I'm not quite sure. Well, the nerdy ability to ward off predators by using prime numbers. Yeah. No. Okay. Oh, that's I wouldn't. You're so anti-maths. I, I am deeply admiring of the cicada. And but the thing I mostly admire about the cicada is the fantastic noise they make. And I would have thought that would be a better way of avoiding predators, just not making you, any. You, there's noise. a website you can go to if you're planning your wedding in America, just to check that the year that you're planning your wedding isn't a year when these cicadas are appearing, because the, the noise is so loud. Most residents move out. Well, you exactly, can't hear you people get, saying your vows. But why <laughs> does the cicada go? The best way of avoiding a predator is if I just appear every 17 years. Rather Rather than saying the best way of avoiding a predator is not making any noise. Because that's also a very good a way of avoiding a mate. Do you know, that's that's good. Good. Well, why don't they find the another noise? way of making a, finding a mate? Going. Yeah, going silently. <laughs> going. It's only the boys that make horn. the noise, though, which is kind of weird. The females don't make any noise. I'm sorry, it's out, Marcus. So I was hoping it'd go for this for you. Um, as this they is Glastonbury, we've got a bonus extra animal. Uh, this oh, okay. is my new favourite thing. This is a binturong. Oh, wow, uh, what's that? Also known as a bear cat, because humans are rubbish at naming things. It is neither a bear <laughs> nor a cat. It's kind of a civet. It comes from Southeast Asia. And the reason I'm putting up these here, it smells like popcorn. Oh, I want one. Yeah. Immediately. You want one? Yeah. To sniff this civet? Yeah. Yeah, why not, actually? It's got an incredible ability. Yeah, it's, it's how it attracts mates, in this case. Unlike the cicada, it smells like popcorn. Yeah, now I used to, before I do what I do now, before I started doing it, I used to work 
for a huge multinational, I was in charge of UK deodorant. Right. <laughs> kind of weird. I was the brand manager of Lynx deodorant for about four years. Bit strange. And one of the things you learn when you're doing fragrance is that you civet cats, if you rile them, they produce this stuff in their glands, which you then sort of tap off, which is sort of like horribly cruel of the fragrance industry. Are, are you, and you then use it as a perfume. Are you telling me that teenagers smell like angry civets? No, I don't think civet, civet isn't used in licks, but he's one of the, it is one of the things which is used in making perfume. But you have to, you have to make a civet cat slightly cross it for them to produce it, and that doesn't seem right. No, <laughs> to me. So I am, you know, so would you rather solidly say... opposed to this. So no popcorn. As an even, well, no, because you're gonna, you know, if you think a poor cat is smelling a popcorn, I don't. What's I... The po how does that help the cat? <laughs> well, I don't think it's an angry popcorn. It might be amorous popcorn in this case. It could be, but you're still going to get people hunting it for the smell of popcorn. Not if Fair people point. produce their own popcorn flavour. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. look, I'm afraid we have to wrap up here, so this is going to be tough for you, Marcus, because we've got a lot of suggestions that made it through a little bit. Uh, we have got Alice's suggestion of replumbing the body. Yeah. We've got Tom's suggestion of going for a thick Kevlar skin. We've got Flora's suggestion of having possibly the hearing, but definitely the agility of a cat. We've got John's idea of some shark teeth, and that's it. Which of these is well, the Well, for one? me, it actually is very, very simple now. Oh, and, and the antlers. Oh, and antlers. Oh, and antlers. But you see, I think the one which is most practical, because dentistry is enormously expensive, isn't it? And yeah. it's almost impossible to find an NHS dentist. I'm going to go for regrowing shark's teeth, especially if they are actually shark's teeth rather than human's teeth. <laughs> I'm going to go for them in the human body. We won't be able to smile in photos anymore, but all the same. Okay, ladies and gents, you heard that first here. That will be something that we'll be adding to your species. We're going to take that and add it like a genetically modified cherry to the Knickerbocker glory of humanity. Before we go, we'd love you to give a huge round of applause to our guests. We've had Marcus de Soitoy, Alice Roberts, you, Dennis, and the wonderful audience of the Glastonbury Festival. I'm Simon Watt, your host. This has been Level Up Human. Thank you so much. Thank you. <laughs> that was Level Up Human. Hosted by Simon Watt, produced by Rachel Wheely, and supported by the Wellcome Trust. For more information, go to levelupyouman.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.